Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening, where, as promised tonight, we will have the opportunity to reflect into the most recently named doctor of the church, St. Gregory of Narek Nark. Uh, pronounce it as you will. I've heard it in five or six different pronunciations. Uh, anyhow, this is the man we will be about this evening, and certainly he fits along the timeline that we've been in, so this works out nicely for us, and I'm uh, most excited this evening because I do have George Wing with me, a, a popular guest. So, George, great to have you with me another Tuesday. Great to be here, Joe. It's a beautiful day in Chico. Amen. You know, uh, St. Gregory of Narc, uh, I, I was really taken by this, George, because uh, once again, we have another doctor, another mystic. As I noted a few weeks ago, the last three doctors of the Church, if not four, are mystics, from St. Hildegard von Bingen and uh, St. John of Avila to now St. Gregory of Narc. This emphasis on the mystic, this emphasis on mystical theology certainly is going to be something we talk about this evening because it is very important, I believe, today as there's so much discussion and talk about the new evangelization, the need to see, George, this mission before us in light of our mystical encounters with God. I think the Holy Spirit has been moving recent popes to name mystics as doctors of the church. And I think it points to, um, once again, perhaps the movement of the Spirit, a oneness to dig deep Mm -hmm. uh, into Christ, into prayer, uh, into self-understanding that we might bear fruit in Mm -hmm. a very difficult and perilous age that we face. Yeah, I mean, and these are some unsuspecting folks here, George. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are not the giants that we are used to hearing. In fact, I use the name St. Hildegard von Bingen, and people are probably thinking, who, what, what, who did you say, you know, and St. John of Avila, and of course now St. Gregory of Narc, and many people were saying, who is this man? So, yeah, the 36th doctor of the Church, thousands of saints. Why this man? Well, this is what this evening is about. Now, George, before we get into the mystical theology, it really is important for us to appreciate the historical situation that St. Gregory finds himself in, and certainly apply this to our own lives. That is the importance of the historical situation that we find ourselves in. Every saint becomes a saint because of the ways in which, in history, that is, the cultural situations that they find themselves in, are bearing witness to the truth of Jesus Christ. St. Gregory does this in his own way, and any saint, any life of a saint, you find this, that their yes comes in the face of some great persecution, or their life as a whole is a great testimony to the people that they were preaching and witnessing to. We ourselves have to enter into this dynamism. 2015, how are we called to bear witness to our faith, given the historical context that we find ourselves in? Well, St. Pope John Paul II has spoken to this in um, Novo Millennio Ineunte, okay, the, I think I, did I pronounce that right? Very close, yeah. <laughs> okay, close, approximate, <laughs> an approximation. Um, that we, it's very, very important for us to look at the times in which we live and examine those very, very closely. 
and to understand, yes, we've been placed by providence in uh, you know, our given time in history, and we need to find approaches to proclaim the gospel and to live the Christian life in the midst of the context in which we find ourselves. Yeah, our Lord says, read the signs of the times. And this is not to be reduced to just, you know, the end of time. No, we are to read the signs of the times for what they are and how they are presented to us so as to be able to engage uh, the people within this context and ultimately, again, give glory to God. We have the link right here with St. Gregory of Narek, mm, mm. an Armenian. Uh, we're quickly approaching April 24th, the worldwide a commemoration of the beginning of the Armenian genocide at the hands of the Ottoman Turks. And yet in the news, uh, right now, we have a situation with a militant Islam okay, in Syria and Iraq exterminating Christian communities. This is a repeat of what occurred 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. And we have our Pope uh, naming what is perhaps the first, and you might correct me on this, the first non-Catholic yeah, as a yeah. doctor of the church. Now, of course, he's in the Armenian Catholic calendar, but uh, St. Gregory of Narek from uh, 950 to you know, 1003 AD was living at a time when the Armenian community perhaps was cut off from uh, the Latin Catholic Church mm -hmm. and maybe even had rather tenuous ties with, uh, with Byzantium, with the Eastern Church or Orthodox Church. He's a really fascinating character from an absolutely amazing civilization that as Christians we need to be better informed mm -hmm. about. The Armenians were the first Christian nation. Mm -hmm. The first Christian nation. Yeah. And um, going back to what, three oh one, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. As a matter of fact, um that well they claim to have been first evangelized by uh Saint uh Jude, Jude Thaddeus, Thaddeus yeah. and Saint Bartholomew. Uh, that those were the first evangelizers of the Armenian people. Mm -hmm. So that's going back to apostolic times. Yeah. And uh, it's important to recognize how geography changes. Armenia today is a tiny little country uh, wedged right off the shore of the Black Sea, uh, neighbors Georgia and, I believe, Tajikistan or Azerbaijan. Mm -hmm. And um, it's really a fragment of what it used to be. Armenia used to stretch uh, during the time of Christ all the way from the Ural Mountains to what is now northern Lebanon. And 301 AD, uh, the III proclaimed Christianity to be the official religion after having imprisoned, apparently, a, Cap or a, a Christian saint, St. Gregory the Illuminator, yeah. for some 13 years. But it was through St. Gregory's intercession that the king was healed uh, of an illness and proclaimed uh, the Christian faith to be the official religion of his kingdom. St. Gregory the Illuminated, that is. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And um, he was named, appointed by the king as the first Catholicos or patriarch of what became the Armenian Apostolic Church. And uh, now it's important when we say Catholicos, that means doesn't mean, you know, the Catholic. No. Okay, it's a title. It's referring to what would be a, perhaps an archbishop mm -hmm. or a patriarch of, um, in this case, of the Armenian Church. And once again, it points out the impact that the Christian faith can have on a people and on a culture, because it was in the wake of Tiridates proclaiming Christianity, the official religion, that the Armenian people developed their first alphabet mm -hmm. to be used specifically for the translation of the sacred scriptures into Armenian and also for use in the liturgy. 
Of course, the monastery, now some maybe 600 years, founded some 600 years after Christianity became Armenia's official religion, the uh, monastery at Narek in what is now eastern Turkey, that became a center of learning. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, famed for its manuscripts. Uh, the earliest gospel manuscript from uh, the Narek monastery, I believe, dates from uh, the year 1056. So this was before printing presses, Mm -hmm. and it was up to the monks to very carefully transcribe the scriptures. Mm -hmm. So these, of course, monasteries became uh, places of learning and culture. Unfortunately, that monastery was destroyed during the Armenian Genocide Mm -hmm. in 1915. So it did enjoy a life for over 900 years. But just as we have a situation in Iraq where places of learning, places of culture, places of history are being systematically destroyed by Islamic militants. So in 1915, the same thing happened to the Narc Monastery under the Ottoman Turks. Mm. This is an old pattern. This is a very, very old pattern. Mm-hmm. And the root is in the, the theology and teaching of Islam, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, as it relates to St. Gregory in history, one of the things we need to be present to is, yes, monk, but also a teacher. And so certainly he comes, George, out of this school to which you are talking about. And maybe this allows us to get into a little bit of uh, what he was about. You know, we think of Monk as being someone strange, obscure, maybe a little heady if they're talking at all. Um, That is not the case. Uh, If you ever have a chance to meet a monk or a nun... Chances are, I'm going to give you about a 95% chance, this person Mm -hmm. is going to be the most down-to-earth, simple, direct, understanding, practical, humble person you will Mm -hmm. ever meet. Mm -hmm. And uh, St. Gregory of Narc was certainly that. Yeah, and what you speak to, George, certainly comes through in his writings. You know, I remember visiting my Carmelite cloistered sister, so I have a sister who's a religious sister. Uh, I remember visiting her for the first time, and... Here, I thought I was going to speak with her and hear all about her mystical encounters, you know. And here, for the first 45 minutes to an hour, all she talked about was what they did practically. And I remember leaving that first visit thinking to myself, well, well, that wasn't what I thought it was going to be. You know, certainly she talked about her life of prayer, which was quite extensive. But every cloister nun, every religious, lives a very practical life. Of course, this is the aura et labor, the, you know, the work and labor that we have talked about so much on this Tuesday evening program. But yes, there I was introduced to something, George, that very much speaks to uh, what we were talking about here. That is, our salvation comes in and through the ways in which we offer up the very practical. I think it's important to recognize, too, that... Besides the practicality, um, I mean, getting back to this issue, gee, this is the first um, doctor of the church who was not a Catholic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that, nevertheless, the works of Saint Gregory of Narek have been recognized by the church for quite a while. He is cited in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. uh, and that's on paragraph uh, two thousand six hundred and seventy-eight, and uh, also in uh, one of I think it's St. Pope John Paul II uh, cited him in his great encyclical and uh, Mother of the Redeemer. So he is somebody that has been studied, and certainly uh, Latin Catholic theologians have been aware of him for for many, many years. Yeah, and in the catechism where he's cited is in the context of prayer, and certainly this 
is what he was about in many ways. You know, he was declared as a doctor of the Church, and specifically within the context of the mystical sciences. And as we talked about in the beginning, George, I think it would be good if we touched upon that at least a little bit. And maybe for our listening audience, it would be good to define mystical theology. When you talk about mystical theology, you're talking about the experience of spiritual things within the ordinary. And out from that experience, a keen conviction that you know, that the spiritual is so much more beautiful, so much greater than the ordinary. Um, one begins to see the extraordinary in the ordinary. And I, I think, George, this hits us today because we live in a culture that is fascinated by mystery in so many different ways. I was noting, noting some weeks ago that, you know, we spend billions of dollars to discover what's up there in the, in the stars and a billion more dollars to discover what sits at the bottom of our ocean floors. Um, why? Because mystery fascinates us. That, that pursuit of the unknown fascinates us. You know, we, we go and we sit before a television, and what, what's all the top television programming today? But all these CSIs, the forensic science, the mystery, it fascinates us. It grabs a hold of us. And on one level, yeah, you define mystery as the inexhaustible reality. But the Greek verb in that word, mio, it speaks more specifically to a religious experience, a religious mm -hmm. encounter. So when you talk about the stuff of mystery, it is not the abstract, but something that can actually be concrete. This is what we have in the transfiguration, right? Mm -hmm. A concrete voice. Now, it's hard for us because when you start talking the stuff of mystery, uh, certainly there's elements of it that are so difficult to grab hold of. It's hard to put words to, right? We can gesture, we can hint, right? This is why uh, poetry and, and music certainly is so popular within the area and genre of mystical theology, because it begins to speak more to that spiritual encounter, if you will. So uh, when you talk about mystical theology, it's, yes, a spiritual experience, but what's so important for us, George, especially in light of our thirst for uh, the mystery, the mysterious, is it's not the abstract, it's something concrete. And that, George, is what I think pulls us in. And we are then made to realize, what, that life is not a problem to be solved abruptly and suddenly, but a mystery to be lived continuously, perpetually. Well, poetry, too, I, it better expresses our approach or experience of the ineffable. Mm, mm. And how many people you've heard, people have near-death experiences, and they say, there are no words to describe what I experienced. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Perhaps poetry begins to help us shape those words. And it's interesting that among the great doctors of the church, you have poets. Uh, John of the Cross, Spain's premier oh, poet. Yeah. And uh, St. Gregory of Narek is Armenian's first poet, mm -hmm. considered his first, their first poet. Mm -hmm. And the, um, you know, talking too about mystery, the Christian faith in the incarnation, by the very nature of the of the incarnation invites us to enter into mystery. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. God empties himself and takes the form of a slave being born in the likeness of men. And Jesus is incarnate. He is fully human and fully divine. This is something we can't, you know, the common expression, wrap our heads around. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But nevertheless, the church invites us to make this attempt and, and further instructs us or shows us wonderful guides in these mystic doctors of the church. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So Jesus becomes the Son of God, becomes divine, and he brings with him 
uh, through the sacraments, the means by which we, in turn, can move from our humanity to divinity. Yeah, that's well said, George. Mystical theology is about looking at the physical as iconic. You know, what do I mean by that? You, know, you just don't look at something. You look into it, through it, beyond it, underneath it, right? This is, the, the, the physical is the invitation. This is why the sacramentality of our church is so physical. Mm-hmm. Therein lies uh, the invitation. Now, I speak to this here, George, because this is very relevant to St. Gregory to his time. Uh, his Armenian people were very influenced by a heresy where there was a lot of confusion between his humanity and divinity. There was a great imbalance and understanding that Christ was fully human and fully divine. And so what does he do? In his mystical theology, he helps us better understand the humanity and divinity of Christ, reflecting into the person of Christ in his physicality, in his humanity, but as an icon into the divine, the greatness of the glory abiding within. So he says, contemplate the person of Jesus Christ to the degree that you look into, through, beyond, underneath, so as to see his divinity, ultimately exercising a deeper understanding of Christ being fully human and fully divine. We see that with his understanding of divine love, the mystery of divine love, Mm. and agopic, or the descending love, and he has, there are two aspects of that. Um, that is, that love that comes to us from God, and the erotic or ascending love, which is what we partake in, mm-hmm. five mm-hmm. aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, we're reaching up or ascending heavenward. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, he was chosen by one of the Armenian kings to write a commentary on the Song of Songs, and it was it was very he was Gregory was very conscious of the need to make this concrete and practical so that the people could understand okay those who are less lettered and educated and um, that was one aspect of that particular writing that was um, you know by intent mm-hmm. he's not trying to be obscure um, he's trying to make this as concrete and po- as possible also in his a book of Lamentations, the use of the of church architecture to illustrate the bride's progress to divine union. Mm-hmm. And um, beginning in the narthex, that's the back dark part of the church, mm-hmm. okay? It's where you find the church bulletin, um, okay, the list of the youth group and whatever, <laughs> yeah. okay, former pastors. <laughs> and uh, it's generally also kind of the dustiest part of the church. It's mm-hmm. the one that gets the most traffic. Uh, in ancient churches, that's where you were baptized. You mm-hmm. were baptized in the dark part because mm-hmm. you're being brought from darkness into light. Mm-hmm. So you process from the narthex then into the, the nave and uh, progress up the nave. That's the center part of the church. Appropriately, nave means ship in Greek, mm-hmm. and it's the Ark of Salvation which has been uh, presented to us, kind of like Noah's Ark, but mm-hmm, minus mm-hmm. all the animals. Yeah. <laughs> well, except the human beings. <laughs> and, uh, we receive Holy Communion, then in the narthex. And um, that involves many goings and comings to the altar rail. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then at death, or perhaps for certain saints, even prior to death, uh, they are brought into the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the place uh, reserved for the priests and for those in the ministerial priest of the deacons, uh, the acolytes, where the um, um, consecration takes place, 
where the bread and the wine are consecrated and become the body and blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. So Christ feeds us through this sacrament. As we come forward to the altar rail, we become divinized. We also begin to bear fruit. Where does the fruit go? Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. Uh, an illustration that uh, Gregory uses is that we become that fruit. Mm-hmm. We, like grapes, loaded onto serving dishes for Christ the King. Mm-hmm. And uh, oftentimes we think of the fruit as being uh, what we bear in order to spread the gospel. That's, of course, true because fruit bears seed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But um, another way to think of that is this is also our gift to God. Yeah, I was reading a commentary on that passage there, uh, George, and the image was to produce the good wine, the grapes must be pressed, crushed, Right, uh, and then it will produce its its necessary fruit for the new covenant life. Of course, this is an image so rich in the New Testament. And again, what you're speaking to here, George, is a practical illustration. Every time someone goes into the church, they're going to be made to think about what he's talking about. Now, we've lost that today, especially over the last forty to fifty years, for sure. Um, and how we think about the relationship between entering into the church and the very rich theological symbolism. Um, But yeah, something that he was going to be present to, for sure. You know, a practical way to recapture that sense of mystery is to take time to dress up for church. Mm. Amen. We're being invited to the banquet table of the king. Mm. And we're coming in cutoffs? No. Mm. Yeah, that's right, George. I mean, it is to remember, going back to Revelation 19.7, we were talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb, where... God, I like that the descending and ascending, uh, we are called to share in the great mystery of his uh, divine sacrificial love that, yes, our own human erotic physical love might be a sharing in that agape you were talking about. And yeah, the Eucharist is about that nuptial union where two become one and we actually begin to take on the flesh of Christ. Uh, This is what he certainly, St. Gregory, wants us to start thinking about, because his mystical theology, as all mystical theology is, is practical. Well, and it it points, too, about the treatment of sexuality in our modern culture. Mm. This is for procreation. This is a beautiful thing. Mm. Just Mm. speaking the other day to a young man who, in his early 20s, diagnosed with cancer, recently had surgery on his spine, Uh, You know, he's talking about his sitting in the hospital and, of course, his parents being the whole time and just reminding him, listen, you're the fruit of their marriage, okay? Mm, You are the beautiful, I mean, you are their child. It doesn't matter. You can be 80 years old. You're going to be their kid. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. they, of course, they've invested a tremendous amount of of love in you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's... um, we tend to view sexuality as some sort of entertainment. Mm. But no, mm. it, uh, our theology of the body, and certainly St. Gregory of Narc, elevates. We think of eros as being something low. Mm-hmm. Well, no, not if it brings a man and a woman together to make a lifelong commitment. That's a yeah. beautiful thing. No, and as John Paul II puts it so beautifully, the sexual urge is the raw material for the more authentic love to develop, and it orients us towards mm-hmm. the opposite sex and that holy communion, which, of mm-hmm. course, is a symbol and sign of the relationship and love between Christ and the Church. So very, very important. And this really does get to the heart of St. Gregory's mystical theology, because when you start getting into what mystical theology is all about, it is that transformational union. You think about the transfiguration. This 
by far is the strongest George evocation of mystical encounter in the New Testament. What do you have taking place there? I think this to be very, very important. In the actual Greek of the transfiguration, this change, you have Christ remaining who he is in his humanity, but becoming something more in light of his divinity. It doesn't shrink his humanity, it glorifies his humanity. And this is what lies at the heart of mystical theology, that we might enter into this glorification, this great light. What a trope, what an image for poetry, right? The light and mountains, so on and so forth. We are called to enter into this transformation in the Eucharist so that we might be bearing the necessary fruit. I think Gregory of Narc describes it becoming a mountain of spice. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. It all points to the bridegroom and bride. And it's about how mystical theology draws us deeper into that encounter and the fruit that comes out from that. You know, I was thinking, George, imagine if we looked at each and every encounter that we have with one another as mystical encounters, that we just don't look at them for their clothes or what they're wearing on the outside, but we look into the encounter, through the encounter, to see the ways in which God providentially wants to work in that encounter. That is why mystical theology is so important to the new evangelization, because each and every encounter, and that word encounter distills the new evangelization, lies at the heart of giving glory to God. You know, it just recently... I picked up off of Netflix a beautiful documentary about Skid Row in Los Angeles mm, and mm. forcing myself to watch this. And it's not a pretty picture no. uh, ex externally, mm. but when the people on Skid Row begin sharing their lives and many of them have a life of service and a life of love, it is absolutely extraordinary. Mm. And, mm. uh, one gentleman started, it's a little group that goes around picking up trash. He doesn't like Skid Row looking trashy. Sure. You know what? They got some cast off uniforms. Mm. They got their little carts. They've got their little you know, utility carts and they go around picking up garbage. And he's speaking to the people on Skid Row. It's like, why are you taking drugs? Why are you messed up? You need to get off those drugs. Otherwise, mm. you can be looking like the trash on the street. Mm -hmm. Why do you suppose I pick up this trash? is to show you what you can be like if you pick up the trash out of your life. Mm, mm. It's just beautiful, yeah, this sort yeah. of wisdom. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is a, what a wonderful soul. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. beautiful. It is beautiful. And things we need to be present to. I mean, because, as we've noted, mystical theology, it points to the practical, because it awakens the heart to the reality that each and every moment is pregnant with eternal significance. This is what... The mystical theologian and the mystical sciences teach us that we need to be intoned with the metaphysical reality that is about God. All right, George, I don't know if you have any closing thoughts. Our time's up. That went by too fast. <laughs> well, everybody remember April 24th, mm, 2015, yes, yes. Uh, 100th commemoration of the Armenian Genocide 100 years ago. And may we keep the people, the Christians of the Middle East, uh, in our prayers. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.